you, don't be seated yet. I want you to turn around, greet four or five people, and just tell them He is risen. Can you do that this morning? He is risen. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being in this place. Speak to us. 
If you don't speak, there's nothing of any worth going to be said. So I pray that you speak to us today. We love you and we praise you. And God's people all said together, Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. You know, in the, in the early church, if you'll study church history, they didn't have pews in the churches. In the early church buildings, they would just come in and they would stand during the whole service. And so we were trying to do a little bit of that this morning, but that's okay. I feel like it's great to stand up for a while and praise God, lift up our voices in song and praise because of what He has done. We got a little tradition around here on Easter. I say He is risen. You respond back with He is risen indeed. Can we try that this morning? He is risen. Oh, that sounded so good. We need to do that again. He is risen. Ahead, do it three times. I think it's worth doing three times. He is risen. Give the Lord some praise this morning. This morning will not be the greatest Easter sermon ever delivered, but I have heard about since the first Easter Sunday, the greatest Easter sermon ever delivered. And I, I told this three or four years ago. If you remember this, just act like you don't, okay? Because it's good. It's good. So we're going to revisit it. But I heard about it was deep in the south, Mississippi, Alabama, someplace like that. And it was Easter Sunday morning. One year as I was coming up to preach on Easter Sunday, one of our assistant pastors leaned over to me and he said, Super Bowl Sunday, at least for the church. That's kind of how it is. Easter Sunday is, of course, an important, important Sunday in the church year. But it was deep in the South, time for service to start. And you know back in the old days, you had to start services at certain times. Sunday morning had to be at 11 o'clock. Then you had to come back on Sunday night, 6 or 7. You had a little wiggle room there. And then Wednesday night, you had to come back 7. That's just how it was. It was in first hesitations or somewhere that you had to have it that way. Anyway, we don't have that one in our Bible. But anyway. But it was 11 o'clock, little church, Easter Sunday morning. Pastor has not shown up yet. They start to get worried. The choir director gets worried. What are we going to do? The pastor's not here. It's a full house. It's Easter Sunday morning. It's the biggest Sunday of the year. What are we going to do? And so he told the organist, keep playing. Keep playing. Keep going. Let's try to, try to drag out that a little bit, you know. And they kept playing. And it got to be like 11.10. Pastor's still not there. And so they asked the worship leader, would you come up and would you lead us in two or three songs? And they, they got up and they started leading through some Easter songs and they started through all that. And then the head deacon got up and the deacon got up and, and, and started to pray and they just did everything to stall. And it got to be about 11.30 and the pastor was still not there. So the head deacon got back up and he said, you know what? He said, we're, we don't know where the pastor is this morning. We're so sorry, people, but we're going to have to cancel the rest of this service. We're just going to pray, dismiss, go home, let, try to figure out what happened to the pastor. But about the time he said that, in the distance, on that gravel road, they could hear gravel slinging. And they could hear a car's motor just revving. That was back in the days, you know, we had real motors in cars. You know, not how it is now. But anyway, motor revving up, gravel slinging. They could hear somebody coming. He hit the pavement of the church and they heard those tires squeal. They heard the door open and they heard footsteps up to the front church door. The door burst open. The pastor runs in. He gets in the middle of the congregation and he says, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That's the greatest Easter sermon ever delivered. Turned and walked out. 
I won't be delivering one that good this morning, but I'll give my best shot. Love Easter. Love, and you know, we celebrate Christmas real well, don't we, as Christians? But Easter's a bigger deal. The coming of Jesus into this world was a big deal, but the fact that a new creation dawned on Easter Sunday morning, that's an even bigger deal. I'm glad you come out and worship with us this morning. I'm glad that you're here. Now, the Bible tells us the first person on that first Easter Sunday morning, because we know the story. We look back and we know that Jesus rose from the dead. But they didn't have the same benefit that we do. They saw him die on Good Friday. They saw him be placed in the tomb and he was there on Holy Saturday. They didn't know what was going to happen on Easter Sunday morning, on Resurrection Sunday morning. But the Bible tells us the first person to report that Jesus was alive to the disciples was a woman named Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. Some remarkable things about that. First of all, it's remarkable that it was a woman. Not that women can't give it just as good of a report as a man. But back in those days, if you went into court, a woman's testimony was only worth half what a man's testimony was worth. And so it's remarkable if you were going to make up the story... If you were going to say that Jesus rose from the dead, but he didn't really, back in those days, you wouldn't have picked a woman to be the first eyewitness because that would have hurt the credibility of the account. And yet it's there that points to the fact that it's a true story. Points to the fact that Jesus really did rise from the grave. So it's remarkable that it was a woman, but it's also remarkable that the first person that saw Jesus alive and reported it was this woman. Because Mary Magdalene has quite an interesting story. This morning to set up everything else, I'm going to just talk to you a little bit about who Mary Magdalene was. Who was Mary Magdalene? She was a woman probably from the town of Magdala, which was a place near the Sea of Galilee. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of her backstory, but it does tell us that Jesus had cast seven different demons out of Mary Magdalene. He had removed seven demons from this woman. Luke writes in his gospel that after the demons were cast out of Mary, that she along with some other women financially supported Jesus and the disciples. As the disciples would travel around, Mary and the other women out of their household incomes would support Jesus. By the way, you've always probably thought it was just Jesus and 12 guys wandering around the desert, right? But no, you know there had to be some women involved. Because really, 12 guys, 13 guys, they had to have some women there to take care of. And Mary was one of those women who supported Jesus and the disciples. She was a faithful, faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so on Resurrection Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday morning, Mary and some of the other women had come to anoint Jesus' body with spices. Now, the Bible tells us his body had already been prepared for burial, had already been anointed. So why would they have come back? Well, there's some possibilities about that. But one of the possibilities is it was Passover weekend. It was a Jewish high holy day. And so probably after Jesus died on the cross and, the, and he was speared in the side to make sure that he was actually dead, they checked and made sure. You know, some people tell you Jesus just passed out and woke up in the tomb. Oh, no, 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 no. The Romans were really good at killing people. Jesus was dead on that cross. But because Passover was coming, because the Sabbath day was coming, perhaps there was a rush to get Jesus' body prepared for the tomb. And so they felt like they needed to come back and give extra honor to this person who had meant so much for them. So early in the morning, on that resurrection Sunday morning, Mary and some of the other women come to the tomb. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 2 
tells us this. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Anytime you see the one whom Jesus loved, referring to a disciple as John. That's the disciple John, who was probably Jesus' best friend. And I don't think John was bragging when John said that he was the one that Jesus loved. I think he just could not get over the fact that Jesus loved him. I think he never got over that fact. By the way, as I was worshiping this morning, I felt like God spoke this to me. And so I'm going to go on what I felt. I, I believe that God spoke this to me. That there's some people here today, you need to hear this. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved deeply by the God of the universe. You are loved deeply by the Creator. And we love you too. Those of us who know Him, that we not, may not know you. We not, may not know everything about you, but I'm here to tell you, there are people in this church, there are people in this room who love you. And they're willing to be part of your life and they're willing to help you to find the greatest love that you possibly can find. And that's the love of Jesus Christ. So Mary ran and she found Simon Peter and she found the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they had taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they had put him. At the tomb, may, by the way, may God bless the reading of his word. But at the tomb, Mary makes the greatest discovery in human history. The greatest discovery in human history was that the tomb of Jesus Christ was empty. Just as he said it would be, the tomb of Jesus Christ was empty. I'm not going to spend a lot of time proving that the resurrection happened this morning, although that's one of my favorite things to do for an Easter sermon. Usually I go there, but I'm not going there this year. But if you'll look back some of our earlier sermons during this year, we had a series called Why I Believe, and I had, a, I had an entire sermon about why you can believe in the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you can go on our Facebook page, you can go on our YouTube channel, and you can go back, and if you're doubting that Jesus actually rose from the grave, you can go back and you can find that sermon, and I will give you good reasons why you can rationally, philosophically believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But let me just sum it up this way. It's a historical fact the tomb was empty. It is a fact of history. It's not just somebody made it up, somebody had a vision, somebody wrote it down. No, historical fact, the tomb of Jesus Christ was empty. Down to verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. When we look at the Old Testament, there was a thing called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant traveled around with Israel. It was basically a really fancy box. But on top of that box, on one end, you had an angel. And on the other end, you had an angel. Not a literal angel, but a carved angel. An angel that was there as a statue on top of that box on both ends. And so that's where the presence of God dwelled with Israel. That's where the presence of God dwelled with His people. And so here's a picture that God is trying to give us. The presence of God on this earth is Jesus Christ now. It's no longer a box. It's no longer something we carry around. The presence of God in this earth is through Jesus Christ. There's a new creation. There's a new way to worship. And so when they saw the two angels, one at each end, it reminded us that God is with man. Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 13, dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. 
because they had taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you take him away, tell me where you put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But I go to find my brothers and tell them, but go and find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And she, then she gave them his message. Now it's an incredible church. One of the questions you might have is why did Mary not recognize Jesus at the tomb that morning? Why did she think he was the gardener? I mean, she knew Jesus very well. She had known him for most of his three-year ministry, the vast majority of his three-year ministry. The Bible tells us that Mary was there at the cross when he died. She saw him be spat upon. She saw him be nailed through with, with nails into the cross. She saw a crown of thorns placed on his head. She heard him cry out, it is finished. Mary had seen all that. Mary knew Jesus very well. She knew who he was. She knew what he looked like. By the way, I just want to speak this. It just hit me the other morning. I've kind of been putting on Facebook this week a timeline of Holy Week, a timeline of things that happen each day during Holy Week. And on Good Friday, I put that Jesus was nailed to the cross and he spent six hours there. If you travel to the Outer Banks region, of North Carolina. If you've ever done that, you know how long that trip is. That's over five hours. If you stop, it can be somewhere around six hours. That's a pretty long trip. Jesus spent six hours on the cross. He had already been beaten almost to death. In fact, I think it was supernatural that Jesus was still alive to be on the cross. He had been whipped. He had been beaten with a cat of nine tails, which is a whip that has more than one cord. Several cords, and on those cords there was glass, and there was shards of pottery, and there were other things, so that when they hit you with it, it stuck. And when it stuck, they would rip it, and it would rip skin off of your body. It was a terrible, not, it's not just beating like they took a cane and beat Jesus. No, they beat him within an inch of his life before he even was placed onto the cross. And then he had to carry part of his cross to Calvary. That part of the cross weighed somewhere between 100 and 150 pounds. What a heavy weight. That would be supernatural for somebody after that beating to even be able to carry that to the cross. And then he hung on the cross for six hours. And as he hung there, the way he died on the cross was through asphyxiation. You would actually stop breathing because you couldn't hold up the weight of your body anymore. And so you would actually have to keep pushing up, pushing up pushing up to even be able to breathe and eventually you got so tired that you just your arms went limp, your body just just fell down and you actually couldn't breathe anymore. The weight of your body would actually kill you. Jesus fought that for six hours. And on top of all that, he had the sins of the world spiritually placed on him at that point. Everything that I've done, everything that you've done, anything that we've ever done outside of the will of God the Father, Jesus took on himself at that point. 
The worst thing you can think of. The worst thing that you can think of. Terrorism. Child molestation. I mean, just think of the most horrible things that you could think of. They were placed on Jesus. And Jesus took that sin so that we could have new life. That was placed on Him at the cross. No wonder in the garden Jesus prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. Still not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus, she had seen, Mary had seen Jesus hanging on that cross. By the way, a lot of guys, sometimes men, think that it's not a manly thing to be a Christian. It's not a manly thing to follow Jesus. It's not a manly thing to raise your hands and praise God. It's not a manly thing to be in church and shed tears as you think about God and what He's done for you. But I want to, I want to set the record straight on that. The toughest, the strongest, the most courageous man who ever lived was Jesus Christ. You want a man's man? Jesus was a man's man. He took more than anybody could have taken. He took more than was even humanly possible for me and for you. And so if you want to be a real man, follow Jesus. If you want to be a, yeah, it should be louder than that. If you want to be a real man, follow Jesus. By the way, if you follow Jesus and you're a man, step up. Step up. We need you to step up and follow Him with all your heart. But Mary didn't recognize Him. Even though she saw Him die, even though she saw him be placed in the tomb, the Bible tells us that Mary was there when they placed him in the tomb and they rolled the stone over the door. They tell us that stone was so heavy that once it locked into place, you could move it with two or three men, but there was a notch in the ground the way it was built and it would actually sink down and it would take about 20 grown men to roll it back. 20 grown men to remove that stone once it was rolled into place. In fact, we find that in the story as Mary and the women are going to try to anoint Jesus' body. They say, who's going to roll the stone away for, 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 for us as we're getting there? They thought about that on the way. She had seen Jesus die. She had seen him laid in the tomb, but she didn't recognize him. Or maybe it was this. Maybe she just couldn't get her hopes up yet. Have you ever been like that in your life? You really, really wanted something? wanted something so bad, and I don't know how you grew up, but when I wanted something really bad as a kid, my mom would tell me, now don't go get your hopes up. Don't go get your hopes up. If you get your hopes up, you might get disappointed. Don't go get your hopes up. I wonder if Mary was at that point, she just did not want to get her hopes up that Jesus possibly had risen from the grave. Maybe she was tempering her expectations. Maybe it was the fact that Jesus had, after he had risen from the dead, the Bible tells us he was different than he was before. We can see that by the fact he still could eat. He ate with the disciples. He had meals with the disciples. But at the same time, he could walk through walls. They were all in the room together, and all of a sudden, Jesus walked into the room, and he didn't use the door. He just appeared there. He had a different body. He had a resurrection body. He had a glorified body. We're not sure why Mary was not able to recognize Jesus when she first saw him at the tomb. But we do know this. That all changed with one word. Jesus called her by name. I think that's so significant in that passage. Jesus called her by name. He called her Mary. He didn't say, beloved one, or one that I love, or one of my disciples, or woman that I healed. He didn't say any of that. He called her by name. Something special when we hear her name, isn't it? A couple of months, or it's probably even less than that now, as kids graduate high school. 
They're going to hear their name called and they're going to get to walk across the stage and they're going to shake that hand and they're going to receive that diploma and then they're going to go on into a new life. And when their name is called, it's going to change everything for them. I remember when I graduated Ashborough High School, I, I got my diploma and I pumped it in the air, not because it was so hard to get it, but because I got to leave. And it was wonderful. I got to go on with my life. Everything changes when you hear your name. Or think about when a baby is born. Think about the first time mom holds that baby or dad holds that baby and the first time they speak that child's name to that child. How important that is. Life has now began. You now have an identity. We've talked about here before how important it is to give a good name to your children, a spiritual name to your children. There's just something special when your name is called. But it's even more special when God calls your name. It's even more special when the God of the universe calls you by name. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 1, God talked about Israel, the ones that he loved, his chosen people. And he said, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are mine. Mary Magdalene had been a sinful woman, y'all. We don't know all her background. We know that she had seven demons that were cast out of her. I think it's interesting that traditionally in Christianity there are seven deadly sins. Maybe they were demons associated with those sins. We don't know. We're not specifically told. But Mary had been a sinful woman. And Jesus knew all about her past. Jesus was God. He knew everything. He knew every sin she'd ever, commit, ever committed, every wrong word she'd said, every lustful thought that she had had, every time she rejected God, every time she broke the Sabbath, everything that she had done. He knew all about her past. He knew all about her sins. He knew all about the demons that tortured her. And yet he still, at the tomb, called her by her name. I saw this on, on social media not long ago. Satan calls you by your sin, but Jesus calls you by your name. Jesus doesn't, when he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees that you are a person. You are a human being. You are created in the image of God. You are someone worth dying for. You're someone worth loving. You're someone worth saving. That's how Jesus sees you and me. He doesn't see us through the lens of our sin. He sees us through the lens of who we can be in him. And he calls us by name. One second Mary didn't know him. The next second she did. She recognized him. And this morning, on Resurrection Sunday morning of 2019, I want you to listen to me. There are some people here under the sound of my voice today. Jesus is calling you by your name. You say, I don't know. I don't know about all this Jesus stuff. I don't know about all this church stuff. I don't know about all this Christianity. I don't know about all that. And I understand. Because sometimes the church has made a mess of it. Let's just be real. Sometimes people who claim the name of God have not acted like they know God. Sometimes people who are all, thank you Jesus, are turning around and just treating people like garbage. We should never be. That's hypocritical. That should never be. Sometimes we've made a mess of it. And maybe you're having trouble seeing who Jesus is because you've met some people who have misused His name. And I'm sorry. I'm here today to say I'm sorry to you if that's you. If that's you, I'm sorry. I've probably done it before. I'm not perfect. I'm not above it. I'm, but I want to apologize to you if we have done a bad job of pointing you to Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, He's real. I'm telling you, He loves you. 
I'm telling you, if you'll invite him into your life, he'll walk with you and he'll talk with you and he'll be there through everything. All the ups, all the downs, all the mountains, all the valleys, he'll be there because he loves you. You're not just another person to Jesus. You're not number 4 billion, 300 billion, whatever out of 7 billion on earth. No, you're not just a number to Jesus. Jesus knows your joys and your pains. He knows your past, your present, and he knows your future. You don't know your future, but he does. He knows your dreams and He knows your fears. He knows the good in you and He knows the wickedness in you. And yet through all that, He still calls you by name. He still loves you. He wants to know you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to move into your life. He wants to be in your heart and in your life for the rest of your life. And I can tell you, I made that decision at 8 years old and I've never regretted it. At 8 years old, I decided to follow Jesus. Have I let Him down? Yes. Has He let me down? Absolutely not. Never, not for one moment has He forsaken me. Not for one moment has He left me alone. John chapter 10 and verse 27 says, My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Is Jesus calling you this morning? Is God speaking to you? Here we are on Easter, Resurrection Sunday morning, 2019. It would be a good day to become a Christian. It would be a good day to follow Jesus Christ. It would be a good day to lay your sin aside and repent of your sin and leave that stuff that's in your life. You know the stuff that shouldn't be there. You know it. I don't have to convince you of it. You know it. You know it shouldn't be there. Deep down, you know it shouldn't be there. It'd be a good day to leave that behind and follow Him. It would be a good day to get to know the God who made you. The God who knows every hair that's numbered on your head. The God of this universe who loved you enough that He sent His Son to die for you to take a terrible death, to take all of your sins on Himself so He can put His life on you. This morning you might be like Mary at the tomb. You're not quite sure who Jesus is. But if you listen, you'll hear Him call your name. And if you hear Him call your name, don't turn away. Answer Him. Call Him Master. Call Him Lord. Call Him Messiah. Call Him the one that came to save you from your sins. Call Him the eternal King of kings. Call Him who He is. Turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus. This morning we're not going to take a lot of time because we still have a baptism service to do and I'm so excited about that. But this morning I would just not be worth my salt as a minister of the gospel if I did not give you a chance to accept Jesus as your Savior. Look, I know it's scary. Look, I know it's a big leap. And I know you don't know everything about it. I know you don't understand it all. Guess what? I've been studying it a long time and I don't understand it all either. But I know He loves me. I know He loves me. I'm convinced of the fact that He loves me. In fact, I'm staking my whole life on the fact that He loves me, that He died for me, and that He will walk with me and carry me into eternity. So this morning I'm asking just for a second here. We're not going to take a long time. But God's speaking to somebody I believe. This morning, if you're here and you need to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, you're not saved by coming to church, you're not saved because grandpa and grandma were Christians or mom and dad were Christians, you're not saved because you read the Bible, you're not saved, saved because you listen to Joy of or Caleb, you're not saved by any of that. You're saved by knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior, by placing your life in His hands. This morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed, is there somebody here who would just be brave enough, man or woman enough to say, I want to follow Jesus. 
I don't know about all of it. I don't understand it all at this point, but I know I need him and I know I want to follow him and I believe he's calling my name. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I see one hand. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? I see other hands. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you, but don't miss your moment. Don't miss when Jesus is passing by. Anybody else who would just raise your hand this morning and say, I need him. I want to follow him. I want to make him the Lord of my life. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You can look up this morning. Those of you who, uh, who raise your hand, we'd love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you. Pastor Jason would love to talk to you. The worship team. Our hospitality team, we have several people around here who would just love to talk to you and pour into you and tell you what it's like to begin the Christian life and give you some things that you can do that will help you as you try to follow Jesus. And we just thank God for the decision that you've made this morning. We had some other folks here this morning who have made decisions to follow Jesus. And we're so proud of them. We're so glad that they made that decision. And they're taking the step this morning to be baptized. They're taking the step this morning to do what Jesus said. He commanded us to baptize in His name. The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so this morning what they're doing is an outward sign of something that's happened inside of them. The waters of baptism will not save you. If you don't know Jesus, the water can't save you. But it is a symbol. It is a spiritual symbol. It is a grace that you are saying, I'm following Jesus. And I believe when we're baptized, it gives us new power to follow Him. I believe something special happens within us during baptism. But I want to call those who are being baptized and baptismal candidates if they will come up to the front at this point. I'm sure they're sitting all over. Give them a minute to come. If you are someone, our baptismal candidates this year have asked for this Easter, have asked that to... Uh, couple of people, maybe one or two, come back with them, somebody who has been special in their journey, as far as their journey to faith, and so those of you who are coming back with them when we get to the baptism portion of this, if you want to go through this door right here and come up on the left side, you can be there present as they are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Baptism is not the door to salvation. It is an outward sign of the inward work that God has done in the heart. It proclaims to the entire world, I have decided to follow Jesus. Him I will follow. Him will I obey. Today we want to question these candidates so that you might know that they are qualified through the work of Jesus Christ to be baptized as Christians. Baptism candidates, if you would, turn and face the congregation. We wanted you to see their faces. We wanted you to see them take these vows this morning. Baptismal candidates, do you believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? That Jesus Christ suffered in your place upon the cross? That He died but rose again? That He will return to judge all people on the last day? If so, baptismal candidates say, I do. Baptismal candidates, is it your intention to live for Him for the rest of your life, growing in holiness and sharing His good news wherever you can? If so, say it is. It is. Well, church, they're ready. 
So we're going to go to the back and we'll be back with you in just a minute. Um, those of you who have been invited to come with them, if you would go through this door on this side, and we will help get you lined up with the person that you're supposed to be here with. But let's give God some praise this morning for what He's doing in these lives. And those of you who raised your hand this morning, or if you did that in your heart, if you want to come back with us, and if you want to be baptized here on the spot, we have extra towels, we have extra change of clothes. If you agree to the vows that we just took, you can join in and you can be part of this and you can do this spontaneously, and that would be a wonderful thing on an Easter Sunday morning. But baptismal candidates, if you will start to the back, we will join you. Thank you all so much for being here for this special, special time.
person who's decided to be baptized, so we want to go home.
Thank you.